Welcome to the LDS Mission Cast, a podcast to educate and inspire in the great cause of missionary work. This is your host, Nick Galletti. This week's episode is a listener-generated story, a story that shows that there's perpetual motion that missionary work can have throughout the world. I received this email from a listener, Jeffrey Allen. It reads, I listened to your most recent podcast with Sister Bringhurst and loved it. At one point, I thought I was going to get a good story about the MTC missionaries, but she didn't have one. I'd love to hear one, as the MTC missionaries from Mormon.org played a vital role in my conversion 188 days ago. I'm still in contact with that missionary, now returned. I have an odd story that I believe is a testament to Heavenly Father's divine guidance that includes both MTC and field missionaries. I probably make it much longer than it needs to be, but I believe the MTC missionary who helped bring me to conversion has an exceptional story to tell that includes illness, missed missionary callings, and early returns. If you'd like to talk to her, I'd be happy to ask her. She has quite the story and is a very special person. My family is lucky to have met her. Well, I exchanged a few more emails and spent some time arranging the multiple guests that we have on this episode of the podcast. We will first hear from that man that sent the email, Jeffrey Allen, to get his inspiring conversion story. Following Brother Allen, we will hear from Sister Wageman, the MTC Mormon.org missionary referred to in the email, who has an incredible story of her own. It just helps to fill out this wonderful example of the hand of the Lord guiding this work. And finally, we'll hear from Jeffrey's stake president, David Holland, who is just one of the many people that have played a part in bringing Jeffrey into the church. It was a joy to learn of this story, and I hope you're able to find inspiration in us sharing that story in this episode of the podcast. On this episode of the LDS Mission Cast, we've got wonderful story that I want to share with you. And to start off that story, because there's multiple different sides to it, we're going to start off with our guest, who was actually the gentleman that uh, emailed me, and uh, his name is Jeffrey Allen. So welcome, Jeffrey, to the podcast. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. You have an interesting story about your conversion, and and I love, I, I need to tell the listeners this little back-end thing. You are one of the few people I've ever heard of that, that counts the days that you've been a member of the church, and every email we got on a different day, you said, I'm 188 days, or I'm 191 days a uh, member of the church, and I think that's fantastic, but uh, we're so excited to, to have this opportunity, because one of the things that we haven't talked about yet on the podcast is having the story of conversion from a recent convert. So this is a wonderful opportunity. Thank you again, Jeff, Jeffrey. Well, I don't know what we'll call you. We'll, we'll figure it out as we go. Uh, but let, between the two. Yeah. Let's start off then with, uh, with your story. Who are you? Where are you from? And uh, then we'll get into how you kind of came across the church. Um, so I'm from New Hampshire. I live in a tiny town and a small farm that we built uh, on a dirt road on the top of a hill in the middle of nowhere. Love it. I'm in the military. I commute about an hour and a half each way to work every day. But I like quiet life. I uh, I believe um, I'm, I'm big on uh, preparedness. I'm big on um, family. Uh, and th- I think those are the things that initially drew me to the church once uh, the missionaries made that initial contact. So what was your initial contact then with the church? How did you? How did the missionaries find you or did you find the missionaries? Um, well, it was a little bit of both. Uh, so tomorrow, July 4th, is the day I met my first missionaries. And tomorrow will also be 194 days that I've been a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. As of the time of recording, yeah. The So on July 4th, I took my family to the, to the parade. And afterward, they uh, they had a little fair after. And, and during the parade, uh, the theme was states. And there was a float in the parade that was Utah. And it was full of pioneers, missionaries. And I thought nothing of it. And I went to the fairgrounds after with, with my family. And was standing in line between two of the ladies, and I and I said, "Well, hey, those are great costumes. Um, you, did, you guys did a great job. Um, <laughs> you look like real Mormon the, missionaries. <laughs> they, they did." And they said, "Well, lo and behold, we are real Mormon missionaries." <laughs> and so I was embarrassed and walked off. And then I uh, I went to um, and whoever decided uh, the missionary involvement in this was a genius. Because after the parade, all the missionaries were collecting. It cost a dollar for the young kids to go in the bouncy houses and whatnot. And all the missionaries were outside collecting their dollars. And so 
you go, you give the missionary a dollar, your kids go in the bouncy house, and then you have to stand there, <laughs> a captive <laughs> audience, while the kids are in the bouncy houses. Um, and so we did, and they were talking to us, and, and uh, it eventually turned to religion. And, and I'm always open to talk to anybody about anything. I get that complaint a lot from my wife. Did you have a previous religious practice before you converted? Not particularly. Okay. Um, I went to, I was part of a congregational church when I was little and went to Bible school with them. I went to the uh, Southern Baptist, I went to a Southern Baptist church afterwards. It was a counselor at their Bible camp. And then when I graduated high school, and that was probably more for the community aspect of it than anything. I lived in a small, small town. Okay. And once I graduated and moved on, I, I never really did. I've, I've read other books. Um, I'd had experiences, uh, one other experience with, with a few Mormons in the past. And the Jehovah Witnesses used to come to our house all the time. And, and I had a family member who was Catholic, and I went to Mass. So I've been exposed to it, but not really raised in anything. Okay. You then had a conversation with these missionaries at the bounce house. Is that when you first started to try and, I say try and take the missionary lessons, because there's some, some struggles that actually took place in, in making that all come together. Yeah. So no, that wasn't when we tried. So they, the missionary that I was speaking to there, uh, we chatted and uh, table and and I call them the missionary mafia. But they uh, immediately got on the phone and said, "There's a guy over." They called the missionaries that had my area because missionaries from all over the the state, um, the mission rather, were were there at this one festival. Okay, it's, it's big for our area. And so they called the ones that were in my area through their phone tree and pointed us out sitting down eating our, our lunch. And they did a, a walk by and <laughs> and uh, my wife looked up and made eye contact with them. And as soon as they did, they changed direction and came right over to us. And she, she was like, oh no, here they come. <laughs> and uh, so they talked to us for a while and, and they spoke of the family, which piqued my interest. They said a couple things that piqued my interest. I agreed. I gave them my number and I agreed that they could come visit. And in the meantime, I started doing some research on my own because you always have to be careful who you're inviting to your house. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I was unfamiliar with the church. So uh, they called, set an appointment, and uh, didn't come. One of the issues in my ward is it's huge area-wise. And so it's frequently that the missionaries run out of miles or they'll make an appointment on the other side of the ward and it's still an hour and a half to get to my house. So they don't make it on time. And being in the military, I kind of demand that if I have oh, yeah. an appointment with you at three o'clock, I expect you there at five minutes of. <laughs> there you go. And in retrospect, it was unrealistic recommend, uh, uh, expectations. So in the interim, I went on, um, I got frustrated with not getting a lesson, and I went on Mormon.org and started chatting the missionaries there. Um, and so that's really where my first lesson started place was, was through Mormon.org. Did you say, I think at one point you told me you went through a couple different missionaries on Mormon.org? I did. It was just like a stroke of bad luck. Um, I met one uh, missionary, and I'm still in contact with a lot of them. I, uh, I met one who was uh, working at uh, the Visitor Center in New York, up um, by Palmyra. And I think I spoke to her once, maybe a couple times, and then she transferred and was bounced out somewhere else. And, and so I didn't talk to her anymore, and whoever took her place never called and so then I went back on Mormon.org like a week or so late, a couple of weeks later, and then I got another one, and then she transferred out, and then uh, I continued on with her companion, who got a new companion in for a little bit. So I, I probably talked to, and then the the missionaries um, from my home ward started coming by. Okay, and so I I was doing lessons with them, but it was difficult. It's difficult as an adult because they're they're trying to go through their lessons as best as you can as they can. It felt to me at the time, and I don't know if it was because um, of who I am. Uh, usually, they came right after work, so I was still in uniform, and so I don't know if it was a little intimidating or imposing. But it would be like they would teach my children, oh, um, and okay. not necessarily me. And it was uh, again, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, I, I didn't give them enough credit as I should have at the time. And so one of the habits I got into was I would get a lesson from them, and then I would schedule a call with the MTC missionaries uh, like a couple days later after I've had time to ponder it, and then we would go over it. Okay. And, and that worked very well for me, but the missionaries kept swapping out, and uh, I was getting frustrated with the process. Some wouldn't call, and so I'd have to go back on. And you just kind of get lost in the shuffle, I, I feel. And, and I think that's because they... I don't know if this is true, but I, I had the perception that they were trained to 
to take it so far and then try to get the local missionaries involved. Yeah, that's that's kind of the idea. And that was difficult for me, just based on the time and, and getting together with the missionaries. Online was so much easier for me because I have a farm, I have work, I have seven-year-old twins at home, I have a family, um, and I have an hour and a half commute, which is the perfect time to be on the phone with somebody. You um, want to be taught on the phone. I got it. It was It's easier. a modern world, man. We got we yeah. to find people where they're at. I get that. Between the conversations with online and having trouble scheduling with the missionaries, um, I didn't feel like I was progressing. I didn't uh, feel the spirit. I didn't, it seemed like it wasn't for me. And so I was intending, whether it was this meeting or, or the next one, to tell them that I was meet with the local missionaries once in a while, but my intent was to slowly back out. And then uh, the uh, MTC missionary that was teaching me uh, got a new companion. And I immediately clicked. And I had a, a stake president tell me later on, and it's you know not doctrinal, and I, and I hate talking about things that aren't doctrinal, but, but I believe that there's people that we have met beyond the veil, and sometimes we come to find them in this world. And I truly believe she's one of those people. I felt an instant connection with her. Everything she said rang true to me. I, uh, she was able to relay things to me and, and, and help me to understand things that I wasn't understanding before. And I progressed very quickly, very fast. And so I, I stayed with it. And so how long after the 4th of July meeting are we at in the story? Is this a couple months? Mm, probably a month or so. Okay. Like the rest happened very quickly. So it was okay. probably a month or maybe a month. Okay. Eventually you come to find out this sister missionary's name and some of her story. We don't want to take away, we'll give her a chance to, to tell that side of things. But what exactly about her, could you say, maybe helped you connect with her? Was there something about her experience, about how she shared the gospel that seemed to ring true with you? Or is it just kind of unexplainable, just one of those things? Um, it's mostly unexplainable, but there's times that I'm sure you, you felt that in the audience has, has met people that the Spirit just seems very strong in. And whether the Spirit is very strong in them for everybody, or whether the Spirit is very strong in them for just you. And, and I don't know, because I, I really think that, I think through my whole conversion and other things that have happened in it that are just insane, I completely believe in, in divine guidance and that God puts people in your path um, yeah. when you need to speak with them. And, and there's even crazier stuff that happened before I became converted that that testifies to that. And so I think she's just one of those people. Okay. We kind of have differing stories of what happened in between. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, let's, uh, let's get some of that crazy. What, what You say there was some stuff that happened right after you even talked with her that kind of made the process a little, uh, let's just say, sticky, bumpy road kind of stuff. What, what happened? Um, well, and it was more towards the end of that process. So there was a couple things with her. There was one point where um, uh, I think when you're trying to be converted and you're hesitant, especially as an adult, because one of the things that I felt the missionaries just didn't understand, and, and they do, but it's hard for somebody right out of high school to understand, even with guidance and, and being set apart, it's very difficult to understand the the responsibility of supporting family. Oh, absolutely. And having never, and, uh, and things like tithing, having never tithed before, it's like, so what you're saying is I'm going to go through this and then all of a sudden I'm <laughs> going to be giving up a big chunk of my paycheck every month. Yeah. You know, and, and so you rationalize to yourself all the reasons not to. And, and one of my big rationalizations was, uh, well, you know, I'm going to wait until my family's ready to be baptized. And, and this is where we differ in how the story went. And it's probably how I understood what she said and what I heard, because that's what I needed to hear as we rationalized why not to get baptized. One of the things she said to me, and, and our stories differ here, but the way I took it and the way I remember it was she said to me, you know, stop being so selfish. Um, hey, wow. Have you ever stopped to consider <laughs> that maybe your role is to be baptized so you can bring the priesthood and the spirit into your home and, and be a testimony for your family? Um, that's pretty bold if that's what she said. Yeah, and she, she probably said it. And if you talk to her, you'll realize she's a very sweet girl. And she probably was was very kind and didn't say it like that at all. But that's exactly how I heard it. <laughs> okay. And so that stuck with me. And that was probably still like two months before I was converted, okay. before I was baptized. And so then I, uh, I I continued to study. And my stake president came over to my house, and and I was having problems with. Uh, um, I read the Book of Mormon in two weeks after I started studying with wow. her, and then I started reading anything I could get my hands on. And uh, one of the things I read was. Uh, 
King Follett's Discourse. Which pretty, pretty heavy stuff. Complete. I started reading Jesus the Christ about that time. And so <laughs> wow. between okay. those, I got completely spun out. And so I started having uh, doubts again. And one of the things I, I didn't mention is there was a, a family that moved into our ward about the time, like a month before I started going from Utah. And this is one of the God puts people in your path. And if you talked to that couple, they'll, they swear up and down that God sent them here because they needed to meet me and help me. I think that uh, would be pretty egotistical of myself to, <laughs> to believe that. But they said out of the blue, they were inspired to come here, move to this podunk town in the middle of New Hampshire with no family for no reason. And they didn't know why they were just prompted to do it. And they did. And then they met us, my family shortly after, and we become very good friends. And he's helped me immensely through my conversion and then on my journey after. Um, in incredible, incredible couple. I can't say enough good stuff about them. And they talked to Sister Wageman as well. Sister Wageman, for those that don't know, is the MTC missionary that you're referring to. Correct. So the stake president came over and we had a long talk and, and he spoke to me about how we're, uh, you know, the spirits in an earthen vessel and and our mortal bodies are imperfect and Sometimes trying to hear and interpret what God is telling us isn't exactly easy being imperfect. And, and I took that to heart and it calmed me down a little bit. And I went to Brother Purinton, who was the family that I told you that moved out here from Utah that okay. we've become close with. And he said, well, you know, you really need to meet my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law is a smart guy, understands this stuff very well, and you ought to talk to him. He might be able to help you with King Paul's discourse. And so I said, okay. And then like two days later, I left for San Diego. Which, if you look on a globe, San Diego and New Hampshire aren't exactly close together. Almost the exact opposites <laughs> in, in the United States, yeah. Yeah, so I went to San Diego, and I was there for a work conference. And one night, all the guys went out, and uh, I decided I was going to go see the San Diego Temple instead, rather than go out to the, to the bars with the guys. And, and uh, by this time, I was already living the word of wisdom and everything. I just, uh, just wasn't there. And I, and I was thinking of stepping back again because I was having trouble with King Paul's sermon, which I never should have read at that point. <laughs> and so I went to the temple and uh, I walked around and I took a look at it. It was the first temple I'd ever been to. And I talked to the uh, sister missionaries at the, at the visitor booth. And they said, yeah, I've never read King Paul's sermon. Can't help you, but good luck. And one of them said to me, uh, have you ever thought to pray for the answer? And I said, I did. And I, I did it forever and it didn't work. She said, well, have you ever thought to just pray to be okay with it, not having the answer. That's an interesting invitation. It, it was. The one thing I learned about missionaries early on is listen to them. <laughs> okay. Um, it, it doesn't matter if they're, uh, they know far more than I do. I will try any of their suggestions. And that was kind of a common theme throughout my, my conversion, even before this point. Um, you know, I went through the typical stuff most converts do well why can't i drink coffee well you know used to because it's part of our health code well if it's part of my health code then why can i eat sugar and you you know you go through you'll argue anything and they said well just do it and then <laughs> pray about it and then see what see what they say and so i do i did and it worked and so i said okay i will and and then she said well so before you leave make sure you go to the mormon battalion visit the mormon battalion oh, okay. right here it's awesome yeah and it was like 15 minutes before it closed and I wasn't going to go. And I got in my car and I'm like, I'll just go. And I showed up just as they were closing and I'm sure they were excited to see me. I was the only one there, <laughs> but they were very welcoming, very kind. And they took me through and, um, they put on, took me through the tour by myself. And I was in that first room and I sat down and was watching it. And somebody came in behind me and sat down and uh, we went through the rest of the tour together. We took pictures of each other, you know, dressing up in the Mormon battalion uniform. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and we chatted. And then you come to the end and the uh, senior missionary who was there said, well, uh, so where are you from? And we both said Boston. And neither of us are from Boston. And uh, but that's, you know, the only thing it's people safe. know. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And uh, so he said, well, I'm not really from Boston. And I said, neither from neither am I. I'm from a small town in, in New Hampshire. And and then the senior missionary asked, you know, if we were members. And I said, I'm not. I'm an investigator. Um, and he was a member. He was there on business. He asked what ward I went to. And I was like, you've never heard of it. It's a tiny ward in the middle of nowhere. He said, well, what's the name? And I said, I'm a member of, uh, uh, I told him the ward I was a member of. And he said, well, do you know Brother Purinton, James Purinton? I said, absolutely, I do. Um, he was at my house for Thanksgiving. Small world, huh? <laughs> 
it is. And I, he said, well, you know, he was at our house at Thanksgiving. And I said, well, that must have been why he was late to mine. And come to find out, it was the brother-in-law that Brother Puritan had suggested that I talk to to work through my problems. Wow. And I met him in a room by ourselves in San Diego where neither of us are from. Yeah. And that was my first introduction to him. And so, I mean, even just talking about it sends chills up my spine because, you know, there's, you know, it's obviously not coincidence. Sure. You then stayed there for a little bit, met with him, talked with him. And I have to say, and we're going to see if we can get your stake president on, but those that don't know who his stake president is, is David Holland, who is a professor at Harvard, at the Harvard Divinity School. He's also Jeffrey R. Holland, his son, and he's a stake president out there. I'd interviewed him for a previous podcast. He's, he is one of the brightest minds and one of the most caring individuals I've met. To have him be at your home and to speak with you is quite a quite a blessing i would say and you've had some very potent people in your uh, conversion process very wise smart understanding people and i i think that that also is a testament to god's tender mercies as we call it so now you're you're still not a member at this point you still haven't been baptized what what point do you finally say yeah let's do this i'm ready so between all of those, and, and, and before I, I move on, I, I just yeah. want to echo your sentiments about President Holland. He's, I don't even know how you describe a man like that. He's just an incredible person, um, an incredible state president, unbelievably intelligent. He makes you feel like you're the most important person in the room when you're talking to him. Agreed. I don't think there's a single person in the state whose name he doesn't remember and have a story about. He, he, cares about the people it is so blatantly obvious that he cares about the people that that um he serves and that played a big part as well he's incredible he really is he is and and you know when from the outside looking in you know you think of people who come to the church because they're broken or they need something and and little do you know we all are but that isn't really what you're thinking about and here i am i have a great job my my relationship with my family is incredible I've never had a bad moment with my wife that I can think of. Uh, we've been together for uh, 17 years now. And then you meet somebody like David Holland, who who just lives this every second of every minute of his life. And and you immediately realize that regardless of what I understand or don't understand, there's obviously something to this. So then back to your question. Uh, sorry for getting you off no, track. No, no, that's great. So I uh, I went back to my hotel room and I did what the missionary said. And I prayed for peace. And I woke up in the morning without a care in the world, um, pretty much decided at that point that I was going to get baptized. I went home, had a couple other little things, you know, like springing it on your wife. Uh, <laughs> um, and I had a meeting with um, a lesson with Sister Wageman when I got back, and she told me that she was leaving the mission. And uh, I think that was right around that time I, I called the missionaries here. And I said, yep, I want to be baptized, and I want it to be next week. And they said, jump through hoops. And not only that, but it was a week before. It was So I got baptized two days before Christmas. So it was confirmed on Christmas Eve. Nice. Uh, which also happened to be Joseph Smith's birthday, which I didn't know at the time. Yeah. And so I, uh, they jumped through hoops. and um, But it was that trip, and it was just the culmination of, of everything that I've learned and the experiences I had both on that trip and, and throughout my entire journey. Um, the people that were so obviously put in my path for this reason was almost humbling. Because you can write something off as a coincidence, but there's after a while, you you know, it just punches you in the face, and you have to stop writing things yeah. off as a coincidence. And I did. So you have been baptized now, and we'll get a little bit more into Sister Wageman's part of this. But you've stayed in touch with her, which I think is pretty incredible because MTC missionaries are. They often never have any interaction with the people that they talk to beyond sending them to the local missionaries. And so sometimes you don't always see the benefits or the results of the work that you do when you're working on Mormon.org and so on. Have you met her in real life, in, in, in person? I have not. Okay. No, not yet. All right. Not well, yet. someday, someday. It'll happen. <laughs> I, I uh, may be going out to Utah for work in December. We'll see. Well, that so. would be pretty incredible. I, I hope uh, I hope you have a chance to do that and come out and, and meet her, and we'd love to meet you too. But uh, did your wife and kids get baptized? No. So my children are seven, so they're not old enough okay. yet. And my wife is, uh, you know, they make fun of her at church because she's more active than I am, um, <laughs> but not baptized yet. So she there isn't a thing that goes on at the church in, in terms of uh, 
for the most part, Relief Society or uh, or events or fundraisers or, or anything. Um, even if I'm traveling for work, she's still there with the kids every Sunday. Awesome. But she's not baptized yet. And uh, we don't, uh, for better or for worse, don't talk about it too, too much just because I never want that. She's active and she's supportive. And I can't, as a husband, um, I can't ask for anything more. And in her own time. Yeah. Okay. So, so after you, now, now you're baptized and, mm-hmm. and you're going through this adjustment period of, you know, being a member of the church, et cetera. What were some of the challenges that you had or what were some of the most rewarding parts of it? Um, well, the challenges is a lot of it is the culture. The church is very, very cultural. Oh, yes. um, and so, you know, figuring it out is one thing and, and being afraid to, to speak up. But I have a, I love my ward. There's an, a, I love them to death there. It's an incredible ward and incredible family. But I was baptized, and almost immediately I was given the calling of being Gospels Principles teacher. Um, and I received that calling before I even received the Aaronic Priesthood. <laughs> which so, is which is a lot, but also a, a good idea to help you learn those basics. It was incredible, yeah. It's a, like I said, the you know the bishopric's very wise. And so that has helped me on my study. I read the, uh, I'm, I'm going back through the whole uh, scriptures again, starting with, Genesis now. I'm doing that as well. But yeah, just being extremely active in the church, trying to not step on any toes. Um, Maybe you get uh, Sister Wageman to read the... She wrote a talk to have read for me at my baptism. Oh, okay. About how sacrilegious I am. And (laughs) (laughs) um, I guess I was an unconventional convert, but she stuck with me. But so... uh, yeah, just just the challenges of of integrating into the cultural life. What helped you? Was it just time? Yeah, time and and not just time, but they don't give you time. It's it's the fact that I was immediately thrown into the deep end of the pool. Okay, uh, you know, I was immediately uh, given the ironic priesthood. I think the I, I don't think I haven't because we have a small ward. I don't think I've not blessed or passed sacrament since I've been. Oh, <laughs> I've been, okay. Um, since I received the priesthood, I, every single Sunday I'm doing one or the other still. I've received the Mechazedic priesthood at this point. It, I think that the culture being thrown into the deep end of the pool and just staying active in the church helps so, so much. And, and you see people that come and go. And I, and I gave a talk for Father's Day. And one of the points that stand out to me is remembering our, the bishop asked me to give a talk. Um, and I was like, aren't you supposed to be around a while before they hammer you with that? <laughs> no, not necessarily. Um, no, not at all. Here you go. Bam. <laughs> um, and I'm not going to be there that day, so have fun. The, uh, <laughs> but one of the things that, that really that I touched upon in that talk is, is I was always envious of members who were brought up into the church or, or baptized young um, because you were married um, under the covenant and, and you raised your children under that. And then the more I think of it, the more I think that I'm glad I wasn't, um, because I know what's on the other side of the font. You know, I, I know what life is like before you're baptized as an adult. Um, and so I easily recognize the changes that have come into my life. You appreciate it. Is that what you're saying? You, you do. Absolutely. And I, I don't know that, uh, and I don't want to say that other members don't because I, I know they do. But it's so readily apparent for me because on December 22nd, I didn't have that. Or yeah. one year ago tomorrow, you know, on, on July 4th of last year, um, I didn't know what the church was. And so the changes that have taken place in the last 12 months of my life are just, you know, they're, they're right there. Yeah. Because they're so fresh. Yeah. So we should probably then say that we're recording this on July 3rd. So this is this is almost a year to the date of your first introduction to the church, which is kind of fun. I didn't know that until you <laughs> until you mentioned yeah. it here on the interview. But uh, would you say you're now comfortable? Would you say you're acculturated to the church? You, you speak like you've been a member for a while, at least. The terms come very readily to you. I think it's because I I just can't get enough of it, if that makes sense. Like, I have to be, I don't want to say bombarded with it all the time. And, and I've slowed down and kind of tried to give what I'm doing more focus but, you know, a lot of this came before, like it was funny, I would go to the church, uh, I would go to church and, and having come from the Baptist background, you know, I would wear a suit and tie to church every yeah. Sunday, 
and I don't go to a suit and tie ward for the most part. And so everybody thought I was visiting from the stake or something. <laughs> like people, when I when they announced my baptism, people came up to me like, you're not a member of the church? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, they thought I moved into the ward or something. Because yeah. my family and I were there. Every, like, I, I think after the first Sunday we went, I don't think we've missed a Sunday since. Okay. Uh, except for travel or whatever. And so I don't, I don't know that I have learned the lingo, but I, but I love the, I love the culture and I've, I take any chance to serve that I can. So if they have a youth, because I, I have a limited temple recommend now. Yeah. Um, but if they have youth night, I go to help the youth. That's awesome. If they have a, an event or, or a service project and I'm here, then I'm there. You know, I've really, and that was one of the things my wife said to me is I was always, I don't want to say a loner. But I spent so much time, you know, with time in the military that when I came home, I didn't want company. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Um, I wanted to be with my family, work on the farm. And now it seems like our house has a revolving door of guests, um, <laughs> which is completely out of character for me a year ago. So, yeah. Well, we're going to take a break now and kind of switch gears over to having this wonderful sister missionary tell her side of the conversion experience, as well as her own story, which is a unique set of challenges and ups and downs. But uh, I want to thank you for reaching out on email and telling us, obviously, a very small sliver of all the experiences that you had as a convert and coming into the church and, and your amazing story. And thank you for introducing this concept that the MTC missionaries play a part in this, field missionaries play a part, stake presidents take a part. Just other members of the ward and even people that are complete strangers can can all have an impact in some way in the conversion process. We don't always know how, but that's that's how it goes. So thank you so much for coming on and taking the time to share your story with us. I really want to thank you for, for having me here. And I think my story is, is the littlest piece of this and incident as much as, you know, one of the things having talked to uh, you know, a returned MTC missionary and when you talk to people, it's always about what you did on your mission and the people you talk to on your mission. And they never get to meet those people. And it always seems like the story of the good that they do is just goes untold. And when I listened to that last podcast of yours that it caused me to reach out, you know, I thought we were going to get into a good MTC yeah. <laughs> story and it, and it just wasn't there. Um, and so I wanted that. I just felt I wouldn't be doing them justice if I didn't, uh, if it wasn't known that they're out there touching lives and, and is Horrible as it may seem at times, you know, with some of the stuff they have to put up with on Mormon.org, <laughs> they're out there doing the good work and, and there are diamonds in the rough that, and they actually do change people's lives. So yeah. I appreciate you giving her that opportunity to tell that story. Absolutely. And me as well. Yeah. Thanks again for, for everything. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. So now that we've heard the conversion story of Jeffrey Allen, or at least a Reader's Digest shortened version of it, uh, we're going to take a different approach to this, and we're going to talk to the missionary that was part of that conversion process. And one side of that is that our next guest, who is here with us in studio, Emma Wageman, was uh, serving in the referral center as essentially an MTC referral Mormon.org type missionary. And uh, there's a different experience to that type of missionary work that we wanted to get into. So welcome, Emma. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. And I wanted to start off with just your story, kind of get a feel for who you are. And uh, so where is missionary work, receiving a mission call, how has that been a part of your life? Missionary work has always just been a, a super big focus of uh, not just my life, but my family's. I think uh, starting out, like my parents both serve missions. That's actually where they met. It always has just kind of been a, a center. Like it's always something we talk about in the house and something that's affected probably all of my siblings' lives. And, and you grew up wanting to be a missionary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I always used to joke that it was even before I was born. I just <laughs> knew in the pre-mortal existence that I was going to be a missionary. Yeah. What do you mean? Of course, you know. Why not? Yeah. That's how it works, right? But, yeah, I always wanted to. And and I I just had a lot of, of passion and, and excitement for missionary work. 
it was interesting just kind of like with the age change, I knew even if it was 21, I was going to go. So, so it was, it was always the plan, but 19 made it a lot more convenient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, just so you had your papers of, ready way early Yep. and you were ready to go and you finally received your mission call. Where did yes. you get your mission call to? The Japan Nagoya mission. Okay. Leaving on July 22nd, which is actually my birthday. <laughs> July 22nd of what year? 2015. 2015. So, yep. so you're in a situation where in a sense, your dreams are coming true. Everything that you've been thinking about, and and then you have this interesting. Interesting is not the right word. You have a bomb dropped on you. Right. So, what happened? Also, um, about Father's Day, which is like a month before I'm supposed to be in the MTC, I've been feeling this pain in my chest, and I, I'm just wanting to ignore it. I'm just not into it at all. And my mom's like, "No, we should get this checked out." And I'm like, eh, "I'm good. I'll just get." On. Were you just afraid that it would it. keep you from a mission? Not necessarily. I kind of just thought like I was overworking myself oh, okay. just because I'm, I'm always doing something. Yeah. Okay. And so I was working like full time and like getting ready for the mission and just everything on top of it. I was just like, I'm just kind of overworked. I'll kind of be able to relax a little yeah. bit more once I, you know, get closer to the mission, kind of cool things off a little and also maybe a little bit nervous. That, okay. that maybe it was Anxiety. something, yeah, 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 that that would maybe keep me from the mission that I was like so stoked to be going on, and so finally, like a couple of days after Father's Day, the pain was just so intense. My mom's like, "All right, I I don't care what you say, we're going in." So, we we go to the doctor and tell him some of the symptoms. They take blood, and then he's like, "I think we should also take an X-ray." And he was thinking maybe like some ribs were out of place or something like that because, you know, that happens. So my mom actually had to leave early. So I was there alone in the x-ray, the result part too. And he comes back and he's like, I don't really like what I'm seeing there. And I think I want you to go get a CT scan. But like I'm naively just thinking, oh, it's fine. It's nothing. And so I'm like, okay, sure. And so he schedules it for the next day. And and when I tell my mom, she's like concerned because I'm not thinking anything except for I don't even know why I'm in pain. I just, it's whatever. And, right. and she's immediately thinking all the bad things. Especially right? if they rush a test. Right, for the exactly. Next day. Yeah. yeah. So we go to the hospital and they take the CT scan and um, we get home and I'm just, I'm laughing and, and joking. It's just always my personality when there's something serious going on. I just want to push it off and just try to be silly. And my mom gets this phone call from the doctor and he had got the results back. And she starts sobbing. And I don't know why, but I just hear in my head, you have cancer. I'm like, what the heck? Like, that is the last thing on my mind. And so after she gets off the phone, she tells me, she's like, so they say your lymph nodes are, like, massive. They're in the middle of your chest cavity. They're supposed to be, like, tiny like a, like a bean. And they're massive. They're just mm. completely swollen. And so we need to run up to the IHC in Murray, you know, the big spaceship. (laughs) (laughs) The big hospital. Yeah, yeah. the big hospital. And um, go to the ER immediately. So I was like, from the very beginning, which is really nice, just felt a lot of peace about everything. And um, we had, my dad actually had just literally left like that morning to a business trip. He's always in and out of town. And so we were like, shoot, we, I need a priesthood blessing. And so we call around the neighborhood and couldn't find anybody. And then finally, it like, works out perfectly right before we're leaving to go uh, to have someone come over and give me a blessing. And again, just like this blessing was like a pattern for all the rest of them. Every time I got a blessing, it was like everything that was said in it was, this is just a, a period of your life right now and, and you'll be fine. Everything's going to work out. This is a test. This is a, a, a growing experience. And so that also gave me a ton of comfort, just knowing, like, cancer is, like, the scariest word that you can hear. And Seems like it, yeah. yeah. And and yet I never felt any fear about it. That's, I just That is unusual. Yeah. I, I was just massive blessings from heaven. Yeah. And so I was I was really grateful for that. But How does that affect your mission call? Oh. Because they don't let people go yeah. on missions with cancer. That was actually my very first thing that I said to my mom. <laughs> I was more like, concerned about what about going? my call? Yeah. <laughs> and forget so, death, you know. Right? Yeah. <laughs> forget all the other stuff. But, but so, like, one of our first calls that we made after we kind of got things going with, like, the medical thing, because we didn't know it was cancer yet. He gave, he told us, like, it could be inflammation or an infection or it could be cancer. And so... Before I had the surgery that determined that, 
like I had talked to my bishop and I was like, whatever happens, I want the mission to happen still. So can, is like there like a pause button or like <laughs> something we can do to kind of keep it on hold? And he's like, don't even worry about it. And so they kind of started working on it on that end. But yeah, the, the PET scans and the surgeries confirmed that it was cancer. And I was diagnosed on July 2nd. So that's 20 days before I'm supposed to be heading out. And I always described it as like, I'm like laying these train tracks towards my mission, like my whole life, this perfect plan that I'm going, oh man, this is awesome, like exactly what I could hope for. And then they're like Heavenly Father just like pulled the lever and I like go careening off the side to a whole new different track. Yeah. It's a it's a really, really humbling experience. I can imagine. Yeah. You end up getting word that you can't go. Right. And there is a medical prognosis and a mission prognosis. What What were the outcomes of this? Did they say, we think we can have this fixed in a year? And, you know, how, how did that look? Yeah, um, it, was, it was really grown out in my chest. And so, like, there was no concern of, like, oh, you're going to die. But they did, like, say... In six months, you will die unless you do exactly what we tell you. Okay. And I'm like, okay, and that's kind of intense. But we we felt really good about not going this traditional way um, here in Utah. So we actually ended up, me and my mom moved to Arizona for the summer and did some treatment down there. And everything was looking really good. And so when I talked with my state president, Bishop, they just said, you know what? As soon as we get this under wraps, like you get your first clearance, we'll send a feeler out and see kind of what what could be happening. Yeah. And like my thoughts were like, okay, I got diagnosed in July. If I'm good by January, maybe the next July, they'll be able to be like, we can tentatively like maybe send you close stateside and then, you know, see after that. Sadly, that's not what happened. (laughs) In in January, they found uh, a reoccurrence. So it, it totally was gone at the end of the summer after treatment. And then February, they they found it again. Same, same area, but whole new, stuff. So I I ended up doing bone marrow transplant that following summer. And I knew after that, that it was going to be a bit longer in preparation for the mission. It actually was even sooner than I thought it would be going out in August of, of 2017. But I, I know that like the timing of everything, it was just too perfectly lined up to to think that anything was a coincidence yeah. whatsoever. So so you ended up going into full remission. Yeah. And yeah. then they gave you approval right. to go back out, but it wasn't go back out to Japan right. as if nothing changed. Right. So what was the change in, in your mission plan at that point? And I met Elder Anderson in, in the summer of 2016 when he came to state conference. And he actually, when we talked, he was like, I know you're you're meant to be a missionary and you're supposed to go to J- Japan. So I'm going to make sure that happens. And so we kind of just were all thinking, wow, sweet. Okay, that sounds good. Like as soon as yeah. I'm ready, that's what we'll do. But the, the following summer when I um, was in remission for a year and my state president had sent some fillers out, Elder Nielsen of the 70, he's the mission like director, like over the whole mission department. He called me and was like, hey, I'd, I'd like to talk to you about something if you'd come up to my office. So we went up, me and my parents, and and he told us um, that he had been talking with the head mission doctor, who's Elder Schweitzer of the 70, and they were both in there. And they were like, we just don't feel good about sending you out anywhere outside of even Utah for mm-hmm. the next couple of years, well, year for stateside. And, and so this is our idea. So what we're going to do is we're going to give you this option if you want to start right now in your mission and go to this place called the referral center it's at the mtc and it's full-time missionary work you you just have the regular missionary schedule except for you're at a desk talking to people online or you can wait the year and then we'll send you stateside because they didn't want to send me foreign for like five years so they're like or you can wait the five years <laughs> wow <laughs> and so they're giving you five years right right <laughs> so i i definitely felt felt really good about the referral center just right away it just felt it felt right and it felt very like exactly what it was supposed to be you know just set up by heavenly father it was like i the could train see track thing yeah again? exactly yeah. the train tracks except for not mine this time they were his train tracks <laughs> and so i went home and prayed about it and fasted that weekend and called him back on monday and i was like i'm ready to go and he's like okay like give me your ready date and we pushed it out just a month so i could you know finish up everything i actually ended up lining up perfectly with another sister coming in, which like hardly ever happened in the referral center because mm. there's not a lot of sisters that go. It's a, a ton of elders in there 
even now still there's like I can't be sure exactly of the numbers but when I left there's about like 31 and there's like six sisters okay versus like the whatever that leaves the rest of them. Got it. Too much and math. Too much, yeah. <laughs> so you were a, a referral missionary for four months? Yes. And why only four months? What changed? So um, I got in there in August, and I was doing great, feeling really, really good up until November. All of a sudden, I started getting super sick, and I was like, oh, boy. Because, <laughs> I mean, of course, like, after having cancer twice, like, the first thoughts are like, oh, man, I have cancer again. I was being checked out by the MTC doctors and the doctors in the surrounding hospital areas and and nobody could find anything. There was literally nothing wrong with my blood, like Mm. any like scans that we did, everything was clear. Finally, um, we hadn't done a chest scan yet and I had one planned to go up to the Huntsman. The Cancer Institute. Right, exactly, yeah. And um, in just a couple of weeks. And so my doctor at the MTC, Dr. Brown, was just like, you know, Sister Wageman, I know how much this means to you, but for your health and, and everything, because I, I was suffering so much, like waking up in the morning, just pushing myself to to keep going. I was training a new missionary and like, oh. it was just, it was a really, really, really difficult time, but I, I didn't want to go anywhere. And he knew that. And so he was just like, he was trying to prime me and get me ready because he knew that that was kind of the end outcome. And I talked about it with the doctor and, and the and the mission president. But I just, I really didn't want it. But um, after multiple weeks of, of praying and and I knew I kept getting the answer that I needed to go home. I just, I, I really didn't want to. But um, finally it came at the right time and and um, I knew it was it was time to, to head out early. But which is a really extremely difficult decision to make. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially all that you've ramped up to and right. the expectations. Right. And yeah, this is, uh, you finally get to go back out and it's kind of cut short again. Right. So, yeah. Well, the story of Jeff Allen does kind of lend itself to this idea that you were there for at least him, mm-hmm. if not others. But I find it an interesting story, too, because when I did the MTC in 1997, we were answering phone calls from TV ads for people wanting Book of Mormons, Bibles, Family Answers videos, Lamb of God videos, whatever it was. And once we shipped people off to the missionaries, we never heard from them again. We never got – there was no vehicle to even contact that person again. But here we have a story – where not only did he kind of go through a few different missionaries in, in the referral center, but he not only reaches you, but you guys are still in touch. So this was a very special experience, and I want to get your side of it, because we got his. <laughs> Walk us through your experience, your side of Jeff Allen's conversion. Yeah, so it was actually my second day in in the mission, officially. I was with my brand-new companion, and uh, she and her old companion had been working with Jeffrey for a bit, Jeffrey and his family are like just those golden contacts that you just, <laughs> you meet them and you know that they, they know and it's, it's going to happen eventually. You don't know when, but you know that it'll happen for them to. They've been prepared. Yeah. Oh, 100%, 100%. And so when I first talked to him, though, <laughs> he probably already talked about this, but we were on the phone, obviously, right? Because we're not there in New Hampshire Yeah. and, and he's commuting a lot. So he would call us while he was driving. And um, which is a good time. It Jeffrey really likes to talk, which is awesome. It's really helpful. He talks himself through a lot of the difficulties that some people just can't get past. You just know? as methodical, right? Yeah, yeah, very good at that. And and so we we started talking with him. And and you know, there's those people that you meet that you just instantly click with. You're just like, like you're like, man, were we like friends in heaven? Because we must have been. Because like you just. There's a connection that you feel like you were best friends already. And I felt like that with Jeffrey, like, immediately. He was talking about some of his concerns about, like, oh, man, I honestly can't even remember. I think it had to do with, like, like temples and stuff like that. And he was calling them synagogues. And <laughs> he was just, he was saying things in such a way that it kind of, to me, sounded a little bit, um, I said sacrilegious at one point. <laughs> he oh, he's harassed me for that for, <laughs> for a while, but just because, like you know, I'm growing up in Utah. You're not used to some of the lingo that, sure. that other people use, and like, and he's a jokester, you know. So some of the things he would say, I'd be like, that's kind of not how I would have said that, but you know, right. like makes you laugh and stuff. But we continued like to talk. Like I think the phone call was like 40 minutes. He he asked some really really like potent questions. And I remember just like 
taking like a break, like a pause and, and just thinking, like praying really hard internally, like, okay, what should I say? What should I say? And like these words just came to my mind and, and we had this amazing conversation that was so full of the spirit. Like it could be felt through the phone, which is my first experience really, you know, cause the first yeah. thing was like setting up stuff, you know? And so this first lesson really to feel the spirit so strong over the phone was such an incredible experience. Cause I didn't know how that was going to work Right. as like an online missionary. I'm going like, yeah, I can see how like people could show interest and stuff like that, but to really like feel the spirit so powerfully, like it was, it was amazing. You could tell he felt it too. Didn't really know what to say. And we kind of like ended our conversation like on a good note, but like, like it was kind of like he, you could tell he was deep in thought. The next time we talked to him, I don't know how, how much later, it was pretty, it's easy to talk to people like every day when you're like talking with them online or on the phone because easy access. And so like we talked to him like nearly every day. And the next time we talked to him, he was like, you know, of all the times that I've ever spoken to missionaries, like that last time we talked, I felt this this feeling like I don't really know how to describe it. And I was like so stoked because you're like, like, I know, <laughs> you know what that is like, that's the spirit. And so we started talking about that. And and he was like, so that's what that is. And like from that point, it was like he was kind of coasting like, you know, a straight line. And then from that point, it was like straight up. You know, I, it was it was really awesome. Yeah. He told a lot of stories about the different missionary experiences that he had and the people he talked to. I'm curious, just kind of more of on an operational question, Yeah, how does someone call back and talk right. to the same person? Because that seems like it's on a like an automated system. Right, you right. wouldn't be able to do that. So there is like the one automated number that like puts people in a, in a queue. Yeah. Right? But then we also have like our own personal numbers. Oh, as okay. a missionary. So that's kind of nice. Like it's attached to a computer so you don't like have it on a phone. But like they so can't he call you just, all hours of the night. Right, exactly. I mean they can, but it'll just go to the computer answering machine. And so like we would text on there too, which also is a very convenient yeah. awesome way to keep in contact with your yeah, if you have a question, you just oh, type yeah. it out right away. Oh, it was awesome. And then like if we didn't like want to have to answer it back, you could think about it for a minute or like, you know, like the messaging. Oh, it's, it's an awesome, awesome thing. That is cool. Yeah. And it's, it's actually kind of, well, I've, I've never been to the new MTC referral center, so I don't know how it goes, but do they encourage you to develop relationships with these people? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because before with that, I mean, we were, well, there wasn't really a way. Our goal was to just get the missionaries over. Right. And that's definitely still a goal because, you know, as missionaries in the referral center, like, we love to keep in contact with them the whole time of their their process and after, like you said. But like we can't be there to baptize them. So getting them to the local missionaries is is it's still very the much part goal. of it. Oh yeah. Definitely. Okay. So you are staying in touch with him. Yeah. And at one point in the conversation, this might have been the one where you say he felt the spirit. He didn't describe it this way, but I have to ask you about it because he says that you probably will differ on <laughs> on what you said to him at one particular point. But in his interview, he basically, he said that you told him to stop being selfish <laughs> and that he needed to basically get over it, whatever problems he was having, and just get baptized. And did you say something to that effect? Is this the same conversation that you're talking about? Well, so you got to know, this is, we met at the end of August, mm-hmm. right? And so we had talked all through September and all through October, and then I think this conversation happened either towards the end of October or the beginning of November. Okay. So it's been a couple months. So it wasn't the same conversation. It was a different one much later on. Well, I think this one is the one I'm thinking of. Is It was later on. We had known each other for a, a long time, and I knew, like I said, that first time that we talked on the phone that he would get baptized because he just, he knew it. I could tell he knew it, and, you know, it was just a matter of, you know, everything lining up right. Yeah. There was a lot of different things, different concerns that he had worked through. Every hurdle that he got to, he got over it. And so after like 20 hurdles, I'm going, <laughs> Jeffrey, like, <laughs> what are we doing here? Like, like what's what's the holdup, you yeah. know? And, and I remember this specific conversation. The week before, I had been on transfers with another one of the sisters. And so my companion and... My other companion from the MTC were together and they were teaching Jeffrey and they had this awesome lesson with him where they kind of felt like they had like broken through this barrier of like, why weren't you ready to get baptized kind of thing. So I was coming back to this thinking, okay, sweet, he's ready type of thing. And this lesson like 
we're talking and I'm going, what? You haven't changed at all. Like, <laughs> what? what are they talking about? And so I, I wasn't like frustrated or anything. So like, I hope he didn't say that. But <laughs> No, he didn't take like, it that way. Good, good. But like, I was just kind of feeling like the spirit was urging me like, okay, you need to not like be more aggressive, but just maybe more like. Just be bold. Right. There you go. Bold is the perfect word. And and I wanted to be bold, but I also did not want to make him not want to talk to us anymore. Sure. And so I was kind of feeling a little nervous. But like I said, we had a really good friendship. And and the conversation, he's he's really good at taking what you say and, and like digesting it and understanding rather than like, you know, taking just the words and being offended by anything. He, yeah. he was very good at that. And so I, I felt very comfortable saying what I did. So I just... So did you say that? I didn't say you need to get over yourself, but... <laughs> I did say, like, you know, some of the concern is that, you know, his family, you know, Jillian and his wife and his two boys are awesome. And and I'm like, Jeffrey, they need your example and, like, your leadership, your priesthood in the house. This will change your lives and not, not just your life, but their lives. And that's, like, the important thing that you need to think about right now because I know you know this is true. And I know that you're ready for baptism, so... Now what's the holdup? Because if you're waiting on anything else, all you're doing is hurting your family. And so this next hurdle that you're getting over, the finally making this decision to be baptized, is not for yourself. It's for your family. It's for the future generations. It's for all those people that you'll be able to touch. And so in an essence, get over yourself. But well, that, that, That's how he said he took it. And, but that boldness, he said that changed it for him. Now, did you hear about his baptism while you're still in the MTC? So I actually, I, I went home December 9th, and he got baptized the, the 23rd. 23rd. Yeah. Yeah. So, Joseph Smith's birthday. So. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you find out about it? Did he stay in touch oh, we, with yeah. you afterwards? We were yeah. Okay. We, we talk often. We, okay. we talk through Messenger, which is, is fun. We've, we FaceTime with our families. Okay. And, and have like, you know, talked with everyone. He's met my family. Yeah. And, that was post-baptism, but I actually, sometimes the missionaries at the MTC will Skype in to the baptism, like, after it's happened, obviously, because oh, okay. you can't, like, record it. But we were going to do that, but, you know, regulations and stuff, you know? <laughs> like, sure. But we Skyped, like, right after, and it's it's really an awesome experience. Like, even though it didn't happen while I was in the MTC, like, it, it felt like it. So yeah. it was a good conclusion. <laughs> and, and I have to say that it is one of those times, one of those experiences that you just don't hear about MTC missionaries or not historically, seeing that type of connection and and I guess you could say success, but just the results of what you've what you've done. And so it's kind of like the Temple Square missionaries. They say sometimes you never really know where those referrals go and how they get filled out or what happens to those people. But you've right. you got to stay in touch with them, which is always a, a special experience to do oh, that. Yeah. The question now, though, is is there a possibility of you going back out? I. <laughs> so when I first finished treatment and everything and I wanted to go out, everybody kept saying, like, cancer basically was a mission. So you've, you've served your mission. Just, like, kind of move on now. <laughs> and I'm going, you know what? Like, it's my my thing. I really want to. Like, I'm just going to I'm gonna get out there. I, it's been my goal my whole life. And, and so being out there was the best four months ever. I mean, I... It's such an indescribable feeling of, of being a missionary, that that sense of responsibility and that power you feel from the spirit. Just it gives you such an incredible purpose. Yeah. And um, coming home from that is is a difficult transition no matter when you come home. From the start, I've said, I want to go back out. Like, I really want to finish. And most people are just like, Emma, like, you've done it. You've served, like, basically two missions. Like, you're good. And, like, when I came home, my state president was like, you know, we, we count this on your record as a full 18-month mission. So if you're done, great. If you're not, great. We'll send you back out. And so, honestly, I would love to. I would love to go back out and finish. I'm still... After, let's see, how long has it been since November? Like seven see, months? July, mid-July. Yeah. So, yeah, seven, eight months, somewhere around there. Um, I'm still sick. <laughs> so that's that's been a hard hurdle to, to chill, still try to figure out really what to do because I, I still feel that call, that drive, you know. But I, I know there's so many other opportunities, you know, outside of traditional being a missionary with a name tag. But I know that, like, if things lined up right, I would definitely go out again. But... I, I think Jeffrey's kind of talked about this, but um, to me, he's he's told me, like, 
I think that the reason why you got the cancer in the first place and then kind of like had everything pushed back a little bit and and came to the MTC at this specific time was to meet me and help me through my journey and my family and, and, and so on. And I definitely see Heavenly Father's hand in that and, and recognize that, you know, I was in the right place at the right time. You know, if that happens again, that would be awesome. I would love, I would love to go back out. But if not, I, I know there's other ways to serve. This is one of those worth of souls stories that even if he's the only one right. that you had a part in, in seeing baptized, that that's a success. Totally. Definitely. So, well, I hope you're able to, of course, get over this and, and get back to those train tracks, whatever they may be. <laughs> but I hope that you get a chance to meet Jeff in person. And when you do, take a bunch of pictures and send it to us. I will for sure. We'll post them. <laughs> Thanks again, Emma, for coming in and, and sharing your story and, and being such a strong example of, of endurance. I mean, that's really what this is in a lot of ways, is enduring through a, n- a number of trials and understanding that the Lord's hand is in, in all of it. Thank so. you. Thank you. My pleasure. On this next part of our podcast, we have a very special guest, the church side, if you will, of this story of Jeffrey Allen's conversion. We have on David Holland, who is his stake president out in New Hampshire, who is a uh, professor at Harvard University in their Divinity School, and uh, someone I had the pleasure of interviewing a few years back on an LDS Perspectives podcast, but someone that is... uh, well-respected, not only in his community, but in other faith communities as well. So we're grateful to have on as our guest, David Holland, who's joining us via Skype from his home in New Hampshire. So I don't know how much you think you played a part in his conversion, but uh, he seems to think so. So we wanted to have you on. Right. Love to talk about it. I'm, I'm a big fan of Jeff's. He actually, he said he was kind of embarrassed because at one point he said he quoted you to you. But he didn't know that he was quoting you. Uh, well, uh, we need to find him some better material. But, uh. So anyway, um, so just to, to kind of give a, a setup to the story, you you are Jeffrey Allen's stake president. I am. And how did you come into the picture? I, I have to say that it's not very common that stake presidents go to the home of investigators. At least it doesn't seem to be that common from my experience. So what brought you? into Jeffrey Allen's situation? We have a goal in our stake uh, to have meaningful missionary experiences on a regular basis. And that, as I've sort of defined it for the stake, means spending time with missionaries and with the people that they care about. So I'd I'd been looking for opportunities to get connected with the missionaries in in the ward that, that Jeffrey is was investigating the church in, which is the Peterborough, New Hampshire ward. And, and I also have a goal of visiting homes with bishops from time to time. So when I'd heard the missionaries speak about the Allens uh, with such affection and enthusiasm, and then I was looking for an opportunity to spend some time with the bishop of the Peterborough Ward, a man by the name of Ronald Swisher, who's a fantastic disciple in his own right. He had suggested, why don't we go visit the Allens? And uh, that was sort of too two interests I had converging on one family. Uh, and so Bishop Swisher and I uh, made the trek out to the Allen homestead and and met this beautiful family, two bright, energetic little boys. And they were investigating the gospel, very sincere, earnest in their search. The minute I walked across the threshold of their home, I could tell I was dealing with people who were taking this process with a great deal of reverence and commitment. And that's always a gratifying place to be, to be able to talk about the gospel with somebody who's really inquisitive and has some critical distance. He wasn't just going to accept whatever we had to say. He had his own perspectives and his own insight to bring. He's clearly a person of, this is true of brother and sister Alan equally, clearly people of, uh, of independent mind and, and of critical thinking skills. And I always love love to be able to talk about the gospel with people that bring that kind of intellectual orientation to it. Yeah. So it was a choice experience for me, for sure. So he, he seemed to imply that you had multiple visits to their, to their home. We've had multiple visits once in, in their home proper, 
but Jeff, Jeff and I have had, you know, a lot of interaction in various places across various media. So, so he and I, you know, I think we, we connected right off the bat. He felt an affinity and I felt an affinity. And so it's, it's been a, it's been a nice connection uh, over a variety of different modes of interaction. Now, I know it's not your calling to advise other stake presidents uh, in a similar situation, but what were some of the things that you found rewarding and perhaps even informative through this experience in going out and, and meeting with potential investigators or investigators rather in their home and with the missionaries? It's really at the heart of the whole concept of ministry. I mean, I, I this will sound a little bit cliched, but I, I don't really see a distinction between the work we try to do in reaching out to less actives or the work we try to do in reaching out to active members who may be in a, a need that we can address or the work that we do with investigators. Everybody's a child of God. Everybody's on this mortal journey. We have a covenant to lend a hand and a, you know, a, a, an empathetic ear and a shoulder of support as we all sort of walk this journey of mortality together as God's family. So, it's not that somehow I think of myself as exceptionally missionary-minded. I'm, I'm sure there are lots of stake presidents who who are more focused or concerted uh, in that area. I do think that as a stake, we're pretty ministry-minded, and visiting investigators is a sort of cohesive piece with you know the the culture that we're trying to create of just watching out for one another and connecting where we can. Yeah. His story seems to be particularly unique in that it wasn't done very isolated. There was there were members that came from even other states. Uh, he had yeah. so many experiences with people that weren't even close by. It felt almost like a, not literally, but a, this kind of church-wide effort that seemed to mm. play into his conversion. So what then might we be able to, what kind of takeaways did you have in moving forward as, as a stake and, and looking at opportunities in the future, did this change anything for you or was this simply just an example of what you hoped things would be? I have to say, and I'd like to make this as clear as possible, that, that the real credit for this story belongs to, to Jeff. I don't know that we did anything all that extraordinary other than try to be present and willing. I think the breadth of his story, the number of people that he connected with, the number of angles from which he engaged his investigation of the gospel, that's really a, a tribute to who he is and the sincerity of his search. He has a relationship with God that is palpable in his presence. And we just had the good fortune of being fellow travelers on his journey. And so I, I really do believe in this as a basic theological premise that if you make yourself available, the Lord will allow you to witness his hand at work in his children's lives. And I think Jeffrey Allen is a, is a shining example of that. This was about him, the spirit working with him and through him, uh, about what happens when a sincere heart matches a sincere search and a willingness to respond to the answers that he found. And so I, I do like to think that as, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we, we make ourselves available to be instruments in the hands of the Lord. I don't think our stake did anything that virtually every other stake would have done. We just had the good fortune of having Jeffrey Allen in our stake and and the possibility to, to be a part of his story. Yeah. Well, thank you. I know you're a busy individual with all your, your Harvard duties. Uh, so thank you very much for coming on and, and sharing yep. that part of it. So thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this special episode of the LDS Mission Cast. We hope you enjoyed it, you were inspired by the story, and hopefully you can see the hand of the Lord in this story and know that there are so many other stories out there that have some similarities that, you know, of course, no story is exactly the same, but there are key things that we can learn from this story, great takeaways that can help us all in different aspects of our missionary endeavors. I want to thank all of my guests, Jeffrey Allen, of course, for initiating this, for Emma, for her coming on, and we should all pray for her to get better. And I also want to thank President David Holland for his time coming on the podcast. Thank you guys for listening, and please stay tuned for future episodes every Thursday of the LDS Mission Cast. 